to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Charlotte. Hi, Luke. I'm Captain Captain Dingwell of the USS Fort Venture. Captain Captain Dingwell of the USS Fort Venture. Welcome to the Greatest Generation Voyager. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Hey, buddy. You were back in Seattle. I was, and mistakes were made. For the first time since you moved. I did a bad job, <laughs> Ben. You mean by moving right before a global pandemic? or? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that, obviously. That, that, that was a huge mistake on your part. What an idiot you were. <laughs> that was pretty dumb by me. You ever, like, skip a meal, either because you're working or, or reasons, mm-hmm. and, and then when it's time, you overindulge. I, I'm someone who does this. Like yeah, if yeah. it's if I'm if I'm really feeling it and it's been a while and it could be anything really, sure I'll just really go for it when it's time to go again. I and, used to make this mistake on on Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. I would say I would say like I'm going to skip lunch today so I can really go after it yeah. at dinner time. Yeah, and that's a mistake. And the thing about Thanksgiving is for most people it's once a year. If you've got <laughs> if you got a family dynamic where you're doing multiple Thanksgivings, I understand that that can be. A couple times a year thing, but yeah. but like no technology I've ever deployed has ever worked in Thanksgiving <laughs> or anything else because this Seattle trip was uh, ten days. I was hammered for <laughs> I think nine out of the ten evenings, and on the and on the tenth, it was just because circumstances prevented it. I probably would have done it again. Uh huh. If was you just, can remember Adam's trip to Seattle, you weren't really there. It was, and I, I'm not, I'm not trying to paint this in a negative light, and uh, I don't need anyone concerned about me. What it, what it came <laughs> from, the motivation was just uh, the happy feelings of being reunited with people, yeah, and it being quite a celebration for that reason. So that's great, man. It was just normally the multi-day celebration for me is, uh, is a couple of days. This one was yeah. unique in its length. This was a marathon. Yeah, it really was. But man, I'm really feeling it. <laughs> I've decided on on uh, embarking on a week of clean living this week. Wow. We are going to lay down two episodes this afternoon, and there is a non-zero chance that we hit that worn hammer, and that could really be bad for you. <laughs> I was thinking a lot about that. On the one hand, uh, I'm really hoping for a good lucky feeling. Uh-huh, that we don't uh-huh. get there. On the other hand, my body's never been more ready for something like that. <laughs> You've been cross-training. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I spent a whole week in the drinking gym. <laughs> I'm good to go. Yeah, you're looking pretty swole. <laughs> yeah, not in the way that and you want. And by swole, I mean puffy. Yeah, just around the face mostly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah man uh, thanks for uh thanks for minding the store while i was away i really i really tried to unplug all the way in a way that is pretty hard for either of us when we when we take time off from the show so it was nice to be able to do that when you are a small business owner it can really feel downright impossible to check out yeah. entirely and um yeah, I mean, I, I feel I, I think very often about how lucky I feel to have uh, such a competent partner in you. If I need to check out for a week, you can totally hold me down, and vice versa. 
I mean, I can't totally hold you down, but I could do a lot. Of no, it. I'm very wriggly. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a good deal for both of us. I appreciate that. Ben, yeah. I got a question for you because I hung out with a lot of family on this trip. And I know sure. recently you've been hanging out with your family quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I know I haven't been out in the wild very much. I've been a shut-in like you have yeah. the whole year. And so I'm unused to being around, you know, strangers mostly, but family also. Right. And I found it particularly challenging. I mean, <laughs> for all the obvious reasons. But also, yeah. like, how to moderate your personality and sense of humor for civilians is something that right. I had not had a lot of recent reps in. You and I are, like, two of the only people we've seen recently. And famously, we're always doing bits yeah. when we see each other. All I do is bits, bits, bits. No matter what. So, so that might be a mode that we are both kind of locked in. Yeah, I had to really work to dial that back because <laughs> someone's someone's casually throwing the wiffle ball around the room conversationally, and I'm uh -huh. grabbing it and like running it into the yard. <laughs> no one wants and that. Declaring a touchdown, and yeah. they're like, Adam, we were just playing wiffle ball. Yeah. <laughs> we were just having a game of catch. My wife is crying. <laughs> she doesn't think you were joking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm definitely feeling a bit of that, and I'm guessing that this is just going to take a couple of reps, yeah. a couple a couple of uh, go-outs with a work friend of my wife's or whatever. Yeah, the reps That's, are uh, the thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like you and I have been doing nothing but sparring with each other. Yeah. And then we like actually have a fight against someone else and we're like getting knocked out in the first round. <laughs> yeah, we're like those guys that pick a fight with Nicolas Cage at the beginning of Con Air. Right. We didn't realize that that was a uh, trained killer. Yeah, man. I uh this is embarrassing to to bring up, but I feel like it kind of this is the place is orthogonal to what we're talking about, uh -huh. and this is a, an embarrassment-based podcast. It is. I did this very thing. We were we had a, a couple of friends of my wife's over, and a couple of their friends. So some some folks I didn't know sitting sitting around the folding table in a, our shitty backyard, <laughs> sharing a bottle of wine, and uh, my wife took. Umbridge with me making a an attempt at a bun mo. Mm. You know, I uh, dabbled in some wordplay or something and got the the wifely. Who do you think that's for? Is or, or something like that? Is it because you were calling it that? <laughs> <laughs> and I got defensive. I, I'm not proud of the fact that I got defensive, but I said, "Well, I am a professional comedian." Oof. And. Like, I think that on one level, that is true. Like, you and I make our living making jokes on the internet, but we're not stand-ups, we're not improv comics, we're not comedic actors. Right. And it just, I think it, I, because I was defensive, I didn't say I'm a professional podcaster, because that's the dorkiest thing you can f fall back on in the history of the world. Right. But, boy, that really raised some eyebrows around the table. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it because I don't think you're wrong in defending yourself and in defending the, uh, I don't know, man. 
can we think of ourselves in that way? I don't think we can, really. I mean, that's an insult to comedians. But can we? I think in mixed company, <laughs> it's so difficult to define what we are because yeah. we rarely ever have to do that in the company we usually keep, either with each other or other professionals who do the same stuff that we do. Yeah, Chuck Bryant doesn't need to be brought up to speed on what it is we do. This came up orthogonally <laughs> with me also. <laughs> in that, like, there was some playful ribbing going on uh, in the family about, like, how, uh, you know, must be nice. I just, uh, I just make dick jokes with my friends while my wife does the real work. Right. And you can't defend yourself with as much enthusiasm as maybe is warranted at a moment like this. Because it's ugly, right? Yeah. It's ugly yeah. to make the case for your professional existence. And so I so right. rarely do it or am interested in doing it. <laughs> instead, I just get cucked. Yeah, yeah. Uh, instead, Adam, you just get twisted. I do. Yeah, twisted right up. Twisted yeah. him right off of me. <laughs> Just like the Starship Voyager in today's episode, season two, episode six. Twisted. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. We begin with Kess entering an a darkened Sundreens, a place I don't think she's ever been. And if she has, just very, very, oh, by the way, like as, as Neelix's right. date or whatever. Like she's not right. she's not doing holodeck with the same enthusiasm as the others. She hasn't stood up in a closet with a sailor in Sundreens before. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, but that would really be the place, right? Sundreens yeah. full of sailors. Full of sailors, probably full of closets, you know, those old bars, they have little snugs and stuff. I mean, where are you going to stick the mop when you're not using it? <laughs> I read something very interesting about this episode that actually kind of unlocked something I think you and I have both been making the case for in season two. Mm -hmm. This episode was one of four that was written and produced at the end of the first season. Wow. And they were held back by the United Paramount Network to air in the second season. And the other episodes that are included in that are Projections, Elogium, and The 37s. All episodes that I think we talked about feeling more appropriate as season one episodes. You know, say what you will about the United Paramount Network, RSVP. Mm -hmm. They always made great business moves, money moves, I think is what they yeah. called them. <laughs> and uh, the, they don't dance no more. The decision with these episodes, no different, really. Very strange, right? Like, yeah. I think that our instincts were better than the executives at the networks. <laughs> these are season one episodes. Wow. You know, we don't like to get into the unsavory aspects of podcasting, which often include the hosts of a show saying they could do it better. Uh -huh, uh -huh. But here we are, Ben. Here we are. Uh, one little addendum to that piece of trivia. This one was the last of those four to air due to the fact that the production team considered this episode to be the worst of the four. Yeah. Yeah. Are you ready to test that assumption? The people involved with this episode thought it was garbage. <laughs> Some of them didn't think it should ever have been aired. Wow. 
I think B-Dunks was one of them, which is my nickname for Robert Duncan McNeil. B-Dunks? Yeah. I mean, we don't know each other at all. Certainly not at the level that would warrant a nickname. But yeah, B-Dunks hated this one. He seems like a a fun guy who would be up for a a cool nickname. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Sandrine's is empty and the lights flick on and uh, Kes finds herself in a surprise party. I hate surprise parties. I would never do that to you. This is something uh, she, unlike uh, Lieutenant Worf, has no context for. She wasn't suspicious at all. I love surprise parties. I mean, when I look at Neelix, I don't suspect a Susie Green situation where <laughs> where he's trying to do this for any uh, untoward reason. <laughs> What's your angle, you sideburned fuck? <laughs> Robert Picardo really pulls off that beret. You know how some people just have beret face? I, th- yeah. I think you have beret face. I do yeah, not. Yeah, I could rock a beret. Um, Robert Picardo, great beret face. Great beret face. I feel like B-Dunks, probably, not a great beret face. The thumbnail for this episode was Robert Picardo in a beret and a and the puffy shirt that he's wearing as the bartender mm-hmm. in Sandrine's. Mm-hmm. And I did let out an audible... <sighs> when I sat down to to watch this episode because I was really worried that we were going to be stuck in the fucking holodeck the entire time. Yeah, this is audible groan the episode, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, so the the doc is here bartending. It's Kess's second birthday. Big number two for Kess, and uh, apparently that's drinking age if you're an Ocampa. Yeah, the the terrible twos apparent. Uh, (laughs) Because she is screaming and just won't stop. Because the mm-hmm. teeth have come in, I guess. Yeah, she's toothing on a uh, on a little mug of uh, mulled brandy or something. <laughs> yeah, uh, very painful on Neelix's nipples. <laughs> <laughs> Up on the bridge, Ensign Kim would really like to get to the party. Uh, you know, groundwork must be laid for whether it's the Delaney sisters or whoever he's going to get after and uh completing his entire shift uh is just eating into time that could be devoted to that he really is benjamin r harrison teacher's pet in this moment to tuvok (laughs) and to tuvok's credit he kind of gets it i presume this notable impatience his duty or desire to attend the festivities in holodeck too he gets what's happening he doesn't want to go to this fucking party he'll he'll tell you that much but he understands kim's interest in doing so yeah, Tuvok has Daimo, which is delight in missing out. <laughs> yeah. That's going to be my next two weeks, man. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> he kind of, uh, he's he's happy to help Ensign Kim. He gives Ensign Kim a, uh, a job, which is go check on something around the holodeck. And when you're done, you can knock off and... Kim has nearly stepped off the bridge when they come across some kind of an anomaly in space. I feel like there should be a name for this, right? When you're at a job and you mm-hmm. get sent to do a task that is actually kind of a reward. You right. ever have to do this? Like when I worked retail, the best job in the world was, oh, we're out of a thing we need to run the business. Like maybe you should leave and yeah. go buy that thing somewhere else. <laughs> and that was the best. Yeah, yeah. When I was a production assistant on commercials and stuff, occasionally you'd get called by the production and say, hey, we need you to like do a return tomorrow morning. Oh, yeah. It, you know, it meant you had to get up at 
6 a.m. and go pick up a van at a at a bonded parking lot and drop it off somewhere. Yeah. But they'd give you like a full day rate for like literally taking the van across town so that nobody else had to do it. That's the best. It's so weird how you recalibrate the spell that work puts on you when the work you're tasked with is just a little bit different. Like it's still you're still doing something you wouldn't ordinarily be doing, but right. it's just different. Yeah, it's a, it's a little the the variety makes it taste a little nicer. Poor Kim isn't even able to step in the into the turbo lift before a Star Trek episode happens. It's detected dead ahead. Mm-hmm. It's glowing gases growing ever closer. This did seem like something you might want to not include in season one because it's just like, oh, a, a nebula that's going to fuck up the holodeck. Uh, yeah, we've had like five of those so far in season one. Right. Down in Sandrine's, the captain gets a radio from Tuvok where he says, Captain, we have encountered an unusual. Uh, uh, phenomenal. And then, like, through the wall of Sandrine's, this, like, gold tank busts through. (laughs) And everyone, for some reason, is playing a pickup basketball game with very short hoops. Yeah, yeah. But, like, everyone is there. Like, Mystical is there. (laughs) Oh, man. You cannot have a pickup basketball game and a music video without Mystical. (laughs) You cannot. So, something is wrong with the radio. Party has to cut short. It really busts Neelix's nuts because he's he's gone through the work of making this seven layer birthday cake. Yeah, with that glossy. And like Tom Paris just got to like roll out this huge unveiling of a of a gold locket for Kess, and Neelix is is already kind of on his heel because he didn't get her a gift. He just baked her a cake, and then they don't even get to cut into this cake. I want to just uh, make some space around this comment because it's going to be pretty good. Okay. It's going to be pretty significant. Okay. Here comes a significant comment from Adam Pranica. I actually side with Neelix on this one. (laughs) (laughs) And here's why. It's not that it's a gift of any kind. It's not even that it's jewelry. It's that it's a Uh locket. Yeah, and I think that's a pretty in, intimate gift. It would be intimate if it were pictures of yourself in the locket. I just think it's fucking weird that it's an empty locket. I yeah. I think you should probably, if you're going to give a work friend a locket, you should at least put pictures in the locket, and those pictures should be not of yourself, but of like right. the person you're giving it to and their special friend or whatever. Yeah, of the uh, interstaff fraternization policy from the employee manual, (laughs) just in miniature inside the locket. Per Chakotay's new anti-fraternization rules on the ship, you're only allowed to put pictures of Chakotay in that locket. (laughs) It's Chakotay on one side and his spirit animal on the other side. It's a weird gift. I would feel very strange if a gentleman gave my wife a locket at a party. I'd be like, what's what's this about? Here's the thing. I am definitely giving your wife a locket with pictures of Chakotay inside. <laughs> God fucking damn it. And then and then I will finally be the recipient of You really think that's funny? What who is yeah, that for? Yeah. <laughs> And it'll be cool for me because I'll get to explain it to her later. <laughs> it's a gift for both of you. Yeah, yeah. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it.
They have to split from the party. They head out to head back up to the bridge. The communications issues are happening in the bridge also. So Tuvok sends Mr. Kim down. He says, like, you know, run down, see if you can find the captain in person and let her know what's going on. And so Kim leaves the bridge and uh, they don't run into each other. Who he runs into is a lieutenant named Baxter. I've been trying to report a problem in the gym, but the comm system seems to be down. Yeah, and we recognize this guy from his time in the Six Bay. He's he's known as the uh, as the ship's jock. Remember him? Yeah, yeah. He I I, I was suspicious of Baxter the second he started talking to to Kim because he's like, yeah, man, I was like fucking thrashing myself in the gym. I was working out so hard. And uh, and then suddenly, like the temperature controls went crazy. So I I was like running up to the bridge to see what was up, and I want to know exactly what form this workout took because it seems like he must have showered and changed before reporting the problem. He's got like a <laughs> Scotty carrying his injured nephew to the six bay via the bridge kind of urgency around this issue. <laughs> I have just as many questions as you do about Mr. Baxter. I mean, like, this seemed so weird that I was like, okay, Mr. Baxter is being set up as like the alien presence that has inhabited a character. Also thought that, yeah. Baxter definitely embodies that quality of people who are very enthusiastic about their fitness often have, which is they want to tell you all about it. Right. How are you going to find out that Baxter started CrossFit? Yeah. Don't worry, he'll tell you. Yeah, you see Baxter in the background of some scenes like rolling a giant tire through the corridor. <laughs> but he like comes back a few times yeah. throughout this episode. He felt like the most famous person that shows up in act one of an episode of Law and Order SVU. You're like, this is the fucking killer, you know? It's interesting the visual language tells us this too, but the, the visual language for him is a lie. Like... <laughs> Like the angle on William Baxter, the the angle on Walter Baxter is this is a man of going concern. Yeah, (laughs) got to keep an eye on him. Yeah, and (laughs) totally, and it's such a tease. Also, I'm throwing no shade at the actor who plays Walter Baxter, but he just must be a a leg day guy because they always shoot him from the from the waist (laughs) up. I'm not getting a, a a significant like gym rat read on him. Yeah, maybe he's an all cardio guy. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. He, I'm an all cardio guy. I don't, I don't, I, I, I burn a lot of calories every day, but I don't look it. Baxter is an elliptical man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you just take the vowels out, and all of a sudden, it's a, it's a millennial gym. Yeah, <laughs> elliptical man. Yeah. This conversation goes on and on. Yeah. Much like our conversation about Walter Walter Baxter. I was like, <laughs> what is the point of this? And then when it ends, he's kind of like, so should I keep working out or should I go to work or something? And Kim has to tell him, no, man, like you should go to work. Yeah. What is Walter Baxter's deal asking Ensign Kim for advice about what he should do? Because <laughs> like Kim is a bridge officer. He's got that cachet. He's got that cachet. And I guess he's like... Kind of like a department head. Yeah. So does that kind of put him in charge in a way that a lieutenant would have to? I wonder if the vibe is like, you know, you run into the person in the office who isn't in management, like isn't the CEO, but this person is the admin to that to that person. And so you you do kind of stiffen up around them as if they carry some of that weight. 
Lieutenant Baxter is a dude that knows that nothing perpinks like perpinquity. <laughs> Harry Kim has the ear of the captain. Right. You're exactly Baxter right. doesn't get, get invited to McLaughlin groups. No. Issue one. Harry Kim does. I think we figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> In the turbo lift, Janeway, Paris, and Chakotay are en route to the bridge, but when they walk through the door, they're on a different deck than they expected to be, and they chocolate up... And they chalk it up to this comlink issue from before. No, they, I think they chocolate it up. Yeah. yeah. I, I think you were right the they, first uh, time. They chiclote. <laughs> they close the door and open it again. And they're still on deck four. Right. Very confusing. We start to realize that the ship is all, all effed up because we're just kind of cutting around to different groups. Neelix and Kess walking together, trying to get her back to her quarters after... Uh, All of the important people on the show had to run off to the bridge, and they are lost. It's interesting that we've seen this before, but it hits so differently this time. Like, who who was the name of that, the gassy asshole that wanted to watch people (laughs) fuck uh, in TNG? Nagilam. Nagilam. Gassy asshole who wanted to watch people fuck. You remember... (laughs) You remember when they ran, they run into the other Enterprise out there and they beam over and it's like this. It's like Hall of Mirror style, yeah. Big D. And the feeling was so spooky. Like fuck, yeah. like scary spooky. I never get any spook vibes from this and there should be, right? I think it's interesting because it's like not... Like I think that they beam over to that other galaxy class in Nagilam's hole wondering what the f mm-hmm. and and these guys aren't wondering what the f like it is slowly dawning on them that something is strange you know yeah blt marches into the galley and starts shouting engineering commands and everybody's like uh ma'am this is a wendy's <laughs> <laughs> yeah we do a lot of cross-cutting around the episode just experiencing this moment through the eyes of our bridge crew. Yeah. Neelix and Kess can't find their way home. Uh, and it's not because they're drunk after this party. BLT can't find her way to engineering. The captain, Chakotay, and Lieutenant Paris can't find their way to the bridge. The only person that can really find their way where they're headed is Ensign Kim, who has like been sent down to find the captain. He made a beeline for the holodeck and makes it right there. It's no problem for Ensign Kim. I love how Baxter has also become lost. And then he's found in the transporter room by BLT. Baxter, who's just sheltered in place in the transporter <laughs> room. <laughs> he's decided that's where he's staying. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess this is where I live now. The transporter room. <laughs> if it was good enough for O'Brien, it's good enough for me. <laughs> he really pulled an O'Brien there. Yeah. I wondered about that. Like, why does why does Kim have no problem? But I guess it's that, like, the leading edge of the ship is what's getting distorted or something like that. This is what's so dicey about creating the rules of an episode this way. You start to ascribe suspicious actions to a character where no suspicion should be. Like, I started right. to think that something was up with Kim, too. But no, he's just luckier than the rest in finding his way <laughs> to where he wants to go. Yeah. And... uh the doctor is the only one still there. The doctor hasn't been able to transfer back to Six Bay. And 
Kim is trying to say like, okay, little hologram, I'm, uh, I'm off to find the captain. And the doctor's like, hey, don't you think it would be good to have a chief medical officer in the six bay in case people start to get hurt with whatever is going on, which seems very strange. And Kim is like, wow, actually, that is kind of a great point. Well, I guess I'll have to divert all my attention to that and not to finding the captain and alerting her to the problem. The doc really takes a swing for Kim's dick for being in a refractory state with Sandrine. <laughs> like, I, I thought he was hyper aggressive about proving his point here. Yeah, yeah. The, the doc is, uh, is not taking no for an answer. Never get into an importance measuring contest with a doctor. You're going to lose no. every time. Going to lose every one of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace. And I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about Microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. 
The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Goddamn time. Well, I've got to get that platinum. Get that roll metal argument. <laughs> I've got to get that platinum. What now? Are you planning a heist? Gold. So pretty soon, they've all kind of found their way back to Sandrine's. And we have to have a McLaughlin group. Issue two. Here in the bar. And they're talking about this nebula. They, it's, it has become a distortion ring. Distortion ring kind of magically becomes the name of this, it seems to me. I don't really remember when it was described as a ring, and it didn't look like a ring to me on the view screen, but they've all agreed that it's a ring. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, I guess it's a ring. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> I'm enjoying your repetition of it as much as I did in the episode itself. <laughs> it's kind of the exocomp of the episode, yeah. right? Like, like what? Where did? Like, I just like I would have accepted it if I'd heard somebody say it's actually ring shaped. You know, I like the idea of like, well, the the gang's all here at the holodeck. We might as well have a meeting there. We got nowhere else to go. Yeah, and they like push all the. All the little cafe tables together to make a conference table. Yeah. The doc has a pretty interesting idea here. Everyone's like, you know, that thing outside, it's making our ship turn into one of those labyrinths made out of topiaries. Oh, isn't it beautiful? <laughs> yeah. And the doc is like, you know, as a medical professional, I got to just throw out there that uh, it may not be the ship that's changing, but your mind. They may be hallucinating. Mm -hmm. This may be like electromagnetic radiation that is acting on their optic nerve cells that they're they're disoriented in some way. Music really does a lot to set the tone in moments like these and the music really takes a step back here because as soon as the idea of mental faculties being compromised is is dropped in the room, there is not that chord of that the, the crazy chord you get in episodes of science fiction shows where yeah. the crew is about to lose their minds. Yeah, like a lot of flanging, high-frequency t- high stringed instruments suddenly don't go crazy. I just hope when I reach advanced age, I don't start to hear the flanging. <laughs> yeah, that'd be pretty troubling. I hope we um, solve for the flanging by the time <laughs> that day comes. There is a lot of horror movie math at play here, though, mm-hmm. right? Because it's like, let's split up and try a bunch of different strategies for getting back to the bridge because that's what we want to do Mm -hmm. and so if they decided to go with a more horror movie tone with the music i feel like this would have felt super risky like oh fuck like they're all going to be like alone in these hallways and like baxter is going to start like stabbing people or something there is big big fun to be had expression wise in this scene when they start divvying up the crew, particularly oh, yeah. between Ethan Phillips and Robert Beltran, because yeah. the the shot reverse shot of Neelix going, I'm gonna go with Chicote. That's how it should be. And and Chicote is like, 
the uh, the kid who would rather not work in the group project, who would rather just write <laughs> his own paper or whatever, is not game. We've really taken batting practice on the character of Chakotay. This moment, just the facial yeah. expression he makes in this moment when the captain asks him if he's okay with Neelix tagging along. He's redeemed himself entirely. He's my favorite character on the show now. <laughs> I really wish I could do this with my face instead of the thing I usually do with my face when I'm displeased. Like the thing that Beltran does with his pursed lips and and like kind of briefly widening eyes is like funny and endearing where the face that I make when I'm displeased is is what makes people angry at me. <laughs> Neelix is not, uh, is not a card player. I don't think he reads... Chakotay in this moment. In the next scene, we we cut to Paris going to engineering with BLT. And when they arrive, BLT goes absolutely Robert Stack from airplane on every person she sees, like giving out orders, pointing things out, <laughs> telling them they're staying late to work. It's amazing. Yeah. It's like to fall in the mud and get kicked in the head by an iron boot. It's fucking great. Even if your shift is over, you don't get to leave. And so what they're going to work on is rigging up a site-to-site transport to beam themselves to the bridge. And uh, there's a great moment of levity in this scene where she goes to a little side room in engineering and opens the door, and the door opens on a hunky crewman's quarters, and he's like in his his boxer briefs, presumably either about to get in the shower or just out of the shower— I mean, this is the guy that they should have cast as dude who was working out. This is one of those moments in the episode that is so twisted. (laughs) In an episode that gives Robert Beltran and Ethan Phillips so much facial fun, Mm -hmm. they give the guy in the boxer briefs nothing to work with. Like he's, he's in there like he's not seeing BLT for some reason. It's weird when they don't want to pay an extra to have one fucking line. Yeah. Could they not have had him go like, ah, or, like, does that count as a line? Like, what does the union say about whether that's a line? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I would like to be on the panel that rules on on matters <laughs> like that. Did he go, ah, or did he go, because ah? like, there's like more than one syllable and what's weird is like he's not in a state of nature that would inspire the embarrassment that we get from BLT afterwards. BLT is acting like she saw this guy's hog when in what if, reality yeah, what if this was the one example of nudity in Star Trek and he was just hanging dong like he was just standing nude in his quarters. <laughs> yeah. She uh, she did that thing where she's like, "Oh, sorry." Uh and then like takes one last look before she pushes the button to close the door. With the way that BLT is winging jobs around the room previously, I I really expected her to pull this guy into engineering where he'd have to work the rest of his shift wearing a wet towel. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Get in here. (laughs) We need you. Chakotay and Neelix are walking around together and they are doing the walk around with tricorders and kind of get a sense of the shape of things on the ship. Yeah. Part of the strategy. But they are also having a conversation about Neelix's jealous relationship with his special two-year-old lady friend. Another great face take here 
for Beltran, like a great face episode for him, for real, because when Neelix asks him if he is a great stick man, yeah. Chakotay can't help but make the face. The face yeah. of a man that may or may not be a great stick man. <laughs> <laughs> Relative to you, Neelix, I, I guess you could say I am. Yeah. <laughs> it's big fun. He grows more irritated with the line of questioning here but manages, I think, to dispense some fairly good advice about jealousy and, and how a person can combat that kind of feeling in their relationship. Do you have any idea what's going on here? Not exactly. I thought this was fairly well written. I did too. I think it's interesting to like think of Chakotay as somebody who has lived a ton of life because we don't get much backstory on him, or yeah. at least we haven't yet. Uh, they've sort of treated his quote-unquote Native American-ness as all the backstory he needs, I guess, and his makeweesness. Mm -hmm. But, like, we don't know if he has a special person back home or or what, and this kind of implies more depth to his character than we've gotten so far, and I hope that they continue with that. What if the reveal is that he just fucks his animal guide, and that's his secret <laughs> shame? Like, that's, how, that's why he wanted to get in that shuttlecraft and go far away? My animal guide is actually just my left hand. <laughs> my animal guide is a furry. <laughs> <laughs> so they run into Lieutenant Baxter, another instance where I was like, okay, well, Baxter definitely has something to do with this. We've now seen him three times. Uh -huh. They really stomp on Baxter's balls when they leave. Did you notice that Chakotay walks away from him mid-statement? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not a lot of love lost between Chakotay and Baxter. Yeah. I think Baxter gets told to like head back to the mess hall and like tell everyone to hunker down there. Yeah. For the for the duration. Yeah, maybe do None some of the other people on this ship can help us right now, so just hang tight. Maybe do some dips on a on a dining table in there or something. Mhm. Mm yeah. Uh they run into Tuvok and this is an interesting scene cuz like we we hear that like he's left Lieutenant Ayala in command who I don't think we know. He is clearly so, freaking out about this decision, though, like in a it, in a kind of emotional break for yeah, the stoic yeah. Vulcan Tuvok. He has some regrets I thought about, I was going to be away for like 120 <laughs> seconds, yeah. and that would be all Ayala would have to grapple with from a command standpoint, but I've been gone kind of a long time right now, and like it's Lieutenant Ayala we're talking about. I mean, it might as well be Jordy up there running the show, ready to separate the ship. Yeah, so they're talking about this, and they're like, all right, let's redouble our efforts to find the bridge, and Neelix has wandered off, and he gone. In another moment that with music you might think is scary, but is, is just like almost neutral in feeling. They're not exactly worried, but they're not exactly not worried either. Yeah, well, I mean, like, like Chakotay turns to Tuvok and is like, do you think we're rid of him? Are we like, this is kind of nice, actually. Yeah. And Tuvok is like, this is pretty great. Yeah. I mean, we really go from like the the euphoric high of losing a Neelix hanger on to the epic <laughs> low of having to navigate the Jeffries tubes for hours on your hands and knees yeah. with Captain Janeway and Kim. And what they're doing is a lot like what everyone else is. They've got the tricorders on. They're trying to drop digital breadcrumbs around. They keep picking up this weird energy reading that appears yeah. and disappears. And this was maybe the most scary moment in the entire 
episode because when your captain kind of pre-eulogizes you in a moment where there is no danger at all. You've been one of the bright spots of this whole mission. And you are Ensign Kim. Right. This would scare the shit out of me. I would start shaking if I were Kim in this moment. Yeah. This is really bad for him. Captain has some very nice things to say about him, but in a way that really does feel like, hey, this might be the last chance I have to say something like this to you. Yeah. And then she uh, opens a door in the Jeffrey's tube and pops through and finds that her arm goes all rubbery on the other side, like that rubber pencil trick. I can't get my coffee out. It's a portal to a room full of nothing but Bezier curve tools. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The most most difficult tool for me to use, a tool I've never learned how to use well. Mm -hmm. At, At least you know how to pronounce it. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's all I can do. Cable crew's take here is more terrified than painful, and I thought that was an interesting choice. Yeah, like that it was like it was just that she was stuck and couldn't get back. Yeah, um, and what's interesting is that she goes from terror to pain because once she's pulled back into the Jeffrey's tube by Kim, she's like, "Oh, that was pretty scary stuff," and then she like doubles over in pain. So she kind of gives two different takes on the same situation and that part i thought was really effective like rather than doing the same kind of react two times yeah. in a row and then she passes out coffee black make it yourself i'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow make it yourself this is when we cut back down to sandrine's where the doctor is getting pulled in two different directions you know sandrine wants to fuck him he doesn't want to fuck her he doesn't want to play pool with the pool shark guy Sandrine has to resort to firing him from his bartending gig, which is a huge relief to the doc. I will find a new bartender. I really wish you would. And enter Kim with Captain Janeway, who is unconscious. Yeah, and uh, and I think Kess has made it back at this point. Yeah. So the doc has something to do, but he has no tools to do it with. I sure is... felt like a supernatural need to push everyone to the holodeck in a way that ended up being totally coincidental. Yeah. You know, I felt like the ring wanted them in the holodeck for some specific reason, but it but they just managed to find themselves there as a location. It seems like they just keep find like that's the one place that you can reliably find on the ship. Yeah. Where all the other places are it's like a maze to get anywhere else, but the second you want to go to the holodeck, that's pretty easy. Right, right. We get a little debate between Tuvok and Chakotay about like how to solve this labyrinth, and Tuvok is using like conventional labyrinth solving logic. It would appear that we're in a labyrinth. Which Chakotay doesn't really see as being the right choice here. There's a flaw in your logic. He doesn't think that the layout of the ship has just been changed to one new thing. He thinks that it's it's like going through permutations or something. And he actually proves this to Tuvok by calling his bluff. And he says, let's split up. Let's go our separate ways. And they they come around a corner and find each other almost immediately. The years 2016 to 2020 prove that you cannot solve chaos with a systematic approach. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, they find themselves back in the bar, as do BLT and Paris, who have attempted their site-to-site transport and wind up beaming onto the pool table in Sandrine's. So everybody's back, baby. Old stick man takes great umbrage with this. 
Gaunt Gary, he is credited as. That's a real garbage pail kid name right there. (laughs) What is that about? (laughs) Yeah, where's the trading card with Gaunt Gary on it? (laughs) Everyone is very concerned about the captain being down. And also Neelix is missing, but like, let's... uh, Nobody's concerned (laughs) about that. Let's just focus on the top line problem right now. So they, they're like, well, listen, we've all been walking around with tricorders now. So we've got a lot of spatial data about the ship. Why don't we put them all together, see what the computer spits back at us. And we get a wireframe graphic of the ship being kind of bent in all different directions. It didn't really seem contorted enough. It kind of dissolves into a wireframe of that man that BLT saw. Stepping out of a shower. <laughs> and then the wireframe kind of turns into a very detailed image of him, like drying himself off. They all kind of turn and look at her and she's like, huh, well, I was scanning a different thing. <laughs> Speaking of twisted. <laughs> and out of nowhere, like, look, the picture of the ship on the computer screen is fucked. It is bad, but what they're describing and what they're seeing is totally incongruent because the maze that the crew has been stuck in has been a ship-shaped maze when what they're seeing on the screen is like a ship that has been smashed into a rock. Right. It looks like when you stomp a soda can after finishing it, kind of level of crushedness. And I understand why they can't have constructed twisted bulkheads and, you know, floppy floors and all the effects having to do with the ring are Bezier curve effects. Right. But if that's the case, give me a different look in the wireframe. Like, don't sell me on, on the twisted soda can when that's not what we've been living with for the past 40 minutes of the episode. I think that's a total art mistake and what it should have been is like like the ship is made out of legos and the and the pieces are constantly yeah going through permutations of of what order they're in or something yeah like if that. it's more tetris like i think it could make more logical sense yeah so they've got kind of two options that they start to discuss and it's like either find a way to like get to the navigational controls and see if we can fly out of this distortion ring or this like thing with the warp core that they all agree could be like pretty dangerous if BLT doesn't get the math just right. But it's a techno babble solution that is like bringing the ship right up to the edge of exploding without exploding it. And um, this kind of turns into a power struggle between Tuvok and Chakotay. Like we almost go Crimson Tide in this moment. You ever watch Star Trek? What's interesting about Tuvok's argument is that it comes less from him believing his argument is right and more about his status with Janeway. He's like, you know, Janeway would usually take my course of action. She often agrees with me. Right. (laughs) And Chakotay really has to repudiate this forcefully in a a way that I I found very interesting. I, I feel like he hasn't been asked to do that. He hasn't been asked to pull rank like that many times. Yeah. It's you would have thought that that would have been a thing that like this is this is another thing that feels like a a season 1 thing like have Chicote have to assert his his position in the hierarchy a few times with some of the starfleets 
because they might not accept his position naturally. The pacing of this episode is so unusual because you get so many moments of conversation and argument among crew people. And then after this moment, you cut directly to engineering mid-solution. <laughs> and it like it seems so fucking dangerous when we cut to engineering. Like it's Kim and BLT like screaming at each other, yeah. and they're like, "We're gonna have to, we're gonna have to run like hell to get out of the way of this thing once it goes." Forty-seven, forty-eight, forty-nine. Let's go. What's scary is seeing people run real life fast down a corridor. You never Trek see holiday. that in Star Trek. They don't. And so they set it to go. They sprint. They like duck for cover around a corner. The thing goes banger everywhere, but it didn't work. It didn't do anything. Yeah. And instead of it working, things really got worse. This ring warping is happening right outside their door. Our course is locked in. Do it. Listen to me very carefully because I'm going to say this once. Do it. So if we get this moment where it's like, is this where it all ends? It kind of feels like the Baryon sweep is going to like yeah. find them in the end of the ship and and the end of the ship is Sandrine's bar and Tuvok kind of argues for, hey, like we have tried everything that we could think of. None of the things worked. Like we can't do the navigational array thing anymore because it's inaccessible to us. So... I think we just have to let this wash over us and hope it doesn't kill us. Are you suggesting we just let it crush us? Precisely. I feel like this scene could have used a Baxter. And here's why. Everyone's way of confronting their mortality here seems very similar, or at least related. Like, I know they're, they're sort of doing things in a different way that's in keeping with their own values or whatever. But what yeah. we need is someone to freak out and no one does. And I feel like Baxter would have been a great instrument for that way of being because yeah. there's something just a little unbelievable about living in an entire minute of an episode where everyone's just like, all right, this is it. Never thought it would go this way, but all eight of us are very chill in this moment. Hey, like, I, I know I never said this to you, but uh, working with you really meant a lot to me. Yeah. And if Baxter was, like, doing panic push-ups in the corner, like, gotta leave a beautiful corpse! Right, right. <laughs> it would have felt a little bit more real. Yeah. It's very neat in a way that I think cuts against what could be an extremely stressful moment in the episode, the climax of it. I thought the special effect was really cool. Yeah. Which is like you're seeing it kind of start to warp them in rows as it washes over different members of the crew. They get more and more warped and they really let this moment linger. It, it's a very intense and long moment. I think one of the aspects of the moment that was weird was how supernatural it all felt. In, yeah. in especially Tuvok and Paris's reads before the wave finally hits them. They almost seemed hypnotized or possessed by the moment. And I I just would hope that with characters we're growing to know that we would, you know, at their ultimate moment of truth, like we'd, we'd know them best in that final moment. And they yeah. became even more inscrutable at the end in a way that felt like a missed opportunity, you know, like like drop the veil 
Honey, let me ask you a question. Do you have, do you, have a, uh, do you know where the warranty card is on, on no, the uh, I, I don't. On the TiVo? In case something happens to me, I mean, let me ask really bad. Is in the kitchen drawer by any chance? And let me let me know you utterly when you're about to die. And instead, it's like the feeling of it felt very very numbed. The one thing that made me feel very confident that nothing that bad was going to happen was that the captain is like every time they talk to her she's just like babbling nonsense it's talking to me and i was like i know that there are many more seasons and episodes of this show but the way you make me feel like this is potentially a mortal moment for all of these characters is not by having the captain have checked out of the episode 15 minutes ago like if she was here saying like these are our last moments together that's where all of the impact would have come from that is so right i'm thinking of all the movies and tv shows of you know like the moment where the submarine's going below crush depth and you yeah. and you see the captain you know it's the captain stoicism that informs the crew's stoicism in that moment and the and you're totally right the absence of the captain makes the crew stoicism here feel unbelievable. Right. Or just like the laws of narrative will not allow for this to be the end because you wouldn't you would have needed the captain to right. be present for that moment. It's impossible to know. But do you think you're a struggle to the very last second person or an accept and relax person? I feel like if I've got distortion wave coming toward me, I would not just stand off in the corner of the bar. I'd be like, listen, like this thing, like there's no way where for us to go. Let's fucking dive head first into it. (laughs) You know, let's get, let's, let's get it over with. I didn't think there was a third choice there, but that's really it, isn't it? (laughs) It's, it's take matters into your own hands. Yeah. I'm not a, I'm not a patient man. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to wait for my entire party before being seated. I'm just going to go <laughs> head first into the distortion ring. We're a party of six. I can see a six top right there. I'm going to go. Sit, listen, I know it's your policy. I'm going to go sit down. Tell me I'm wrong. I can look out the window and see them parking right now. <laughs> <laughs> so they get through it. Everything's okay. They come back to the bridge. The ring is kind of leaving with as little fanfare as it arrived. They find that there's a huge amount of data in the computer and also that the computer's database has been downloaded by an external source. So this was presumably some kind of alien species or entity that was curious about them and wanted to communicate and was trying to communicate but just you know it was too too broad a gulf of types of consciousness most of the data was from tom paris's quarters and personal computer (laughs) (laughs) terabytes upon terabytes of video data there's some kind of uh file that got copied that is labeled BitTorrent. (laughs) what do you think that is tom uh, well, Captain, a funny story about that. Strangely, the largest files were included in a folder, inside another folder, inside a third, and fourth, and fifth, and finally a sixth folder called <laughs> Tax Documents. <laughs> so they exchange some porno with some aliens, yeah. and they get on their merry way. 
<laughs> oh, and Neelix shows up. He he still has his cake. Oh yeah, I, boy, I, you'd think the bridge would be a uh, lids on your beverages, no food environment, but there's the seven layer yeah, being yeah. being put at Paris' station. Looks like a great cake. It's one thing to bring canapes up onto the bridge. Are those Valerian canapes? But a uh, an eight-inch thick <laughs> fucking layer cake just seems like it's going to get crumps everywhere. It seems like the kind of cake you need to slice an outer ring from, and then there's yeah. like the inner mini cake that you reveal from those outer slices oh yeah that you then yeah. that you then cut again so uh we don't get to we don't get any like button on the episode with them cleaning uh crumb out of the <laughs> instruments uh that's the end that's it that's the end of twisted adam did you like this episode I was prepared, like, I often have this feeling, the equal and opposite feeling of, like, if everyone really likes a thing and mm-hmm. and is hyper-encouraging of me to see or experience it because it's so amazing, yeah, I'll go in a little defensive <laughs> and not as <laughs> right. open, maybe, to, to, to being dazzled. The exact right. opposite is something that happens as well to me. If, if something hates right. a thing... I will be more receptive to its positive qualities. And that's what happened here. I I also read that like people who worked on this episode disavowed it. Yeah. And I found nothing here that bad. Like it's a clunker of an episode, but but it's not it's not nearly the worst of breed in Star Trek or I would say even of Star Trek Voyager episodes that we've seen up until now. No, it's not not in the bottom three of Star Trek Voyager episodes we've seen by any extent. And I think that you could like knock this episode for like having a strange tone, mm-hmm. like missing an opportunity to make it more of a horror film or whatever. But I kind of think that that's an interesting choice. I don't understand the disavowal thing as uh, as a response to having worked on this episode. It might be my experience in production that makes me feel this way, but like when you read that they were eight minutes short on the ep and that they had to do ADR and that they had to like bulk it up in parts to make it a serviceable episode, yeah. I'm more inclined to defend it as a production challenge than revile it as an episode. And I don't know if that's just feeling empathy for a group of people trying to make a creative thing with with these sort of challenges involved. Right. Like it's, it sounds like it was a nightmare to make. And when you're in a production nightmare, sometimes the best you can hope for is serviceable. And, right. and serviceable in this case does not make it bad. I understand if you were working on it, how you would disavow it because your experience doing it Doing yeah, so was so terrible, like, but... Fuck that. I hope we have more fun on the next one. Yeah. Or whatever. That's where I'm at with it. Yeah, I I feel almost exactly the same way. And I, I wonder about the holding it back an entire season from air choice and like what that was about. Like, I can understand it if they were like, well, this episode is such dog shit that, you know, we can't have it be one of the last few that people see this season because there's no way they'll come back for season two mm-hmm. if they see a turkey like this. Mm-hmm. But it just didn't feel like a turkey to me. Like, yeah. It's interesting how, yeah, like that experience of having gone through it must have distorted everyone's opinion of it so much that 
um yeah like i like honestly like on balance i think this is like this is an acceptable episode (laughs) you you heard it from greatest gen it's fine it's fine (laughs) (laughs) that line should be in the memory alpha write-up of this episode adam and ben from greatest gen reviewed it as quote unquote fine i would love to see our our reviews of some things end up on wikipedia eventually that would be great especially when they're as hard-hitting as fine (laughs) yeah that's pretty brutal actually yeah i understand people that hate our podcast i understand people that love our podcast people that think our podcast is fine i'm perplexed by (laughs) maybe the most confusing of our viewers are the ones that purchase a priority one message ben true excellent pivot adam for what uh... reason would they do such a thing Let's go find out. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. The reason for this first priority one message is of a promotional nature. And it goes like this. Ripped Jeans, book two of MedSci Missions, is available now. That's Jeans spelled G-E-N-E-S. Book one, Earth and Beyond, saw worldwide utopia ended by mysterious aliens. After a bizarre bot occupation and all-out war, humanity is threatened by an alien mutagen that will eventually affect all humans everywhere. Now, Mysteries of DNA unwind as scientists venture on a pulse-pounding interplanetary adventure. Comedic relief blends with darker matters as they forge relationships with aliens who might have the answers Earth needs. Wow. So check out medscimissions.wordpress.com for more info about the series and to view the nebulous cover art painted by the author herself. Cool. I really love the title Ripped Jeans. I think so often with a with a creative project, like if you can just get a fun title like that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not I'm not saying the rest of it doesn't work, but that's a big amount of work. <laughs> if you get that part yeah. of wor- uh, the work done, I think yeah. I think the rest follows nicely. And Ripped Jeans is an example of this. I think it says a lot about the creator when you can come up with a title like that and maybe the tone of the work that follows. Yeah, these are books that you can buy on Amazon. Another example of an author promoting her work on our show without giving her name out. Uh, Her name is Wendy Gamble. Check out uh, Wendy Gamble's work. So head to MedSciMissions. That's M-E-D-S-C-I missions.wordpress.com. Check it out. Ben, our second priority one message is of a personal nature. It's to you and me and the rest of Uxbridge Shimoda LLC. <laughs> the message is from Guy. The message goes like this. Your greatest gen ads on Maximum Fun convinced me to finally check out this Star Trek thing I've been hearing about for the past 30 years. Wow. Wow. I had a great time watching TNG and DS9 and viewing along with your pod. Thanks, guys. Bonus question. What Whoa. is your favorite Bill Tilly card? Gee says, mine is 820. She lays waste to Dorn's lightning performance. <laughs> that's the uh, that's the Keiko lightning card, I can I can tell. Right, right. Wow, Man. I love a question like this. Yeah. There are so many cards out there. 
very hard to pick a favorite. I think maybe um, one of my favorites is the series he did for the Crimson Tide mm-hmm. donor bonus episode, mm-hmm. which is a series of cards that if you flip them over on the back, they all have a section of the Crimson Tide poster mm-hmm. that Bill made with our faces replacing Denzel Washington and Gene Hackman's faces. <laughs> And uh, so if you have all the cards and, and, and put them together, you can, like, a puzzle make the poster. <laughs> so fun. He's really <laughs> talented. Like, such a clever idea. Yeah. Um, and those are fun. I think the issue for me is that number 820 is, uh, like, that's, that's like halfway through Deep Space Nine. Bill has made thousands of these things at this point. It's incredible how much work he's put in and, and how it's always reliably very funny. Yeah. And always, yeah. like, the attention to detail is always there. Like, if he's doing diptychs or triptychs, like, phaser beams are going from one frame into the other and they're lining up just so. <laughs> yeah. And he's getting the perfect frame of a person's expression for maximum comedic effect. It's really hard to pick one, but I know that, like, whenever he pops a hollow card, just the yeah. idea that there are hollow cards <laughs> is a delight to me. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, our very first holo card was uh, was Drunk Shimoda. Very auspicious. Yeah. Adam, our last priority one message is from Dave, and it's to Ben and Adam. It goes like this: It took me over a year, but I caught up to viewing the pod in real time, and I figured I owed you some worthless gold. I'm a terrible procrastinator, so to make sure I don't put this off and forget. Quote, I really want to do this here, now. Okay, okay, let's do it. Sorry for the out-of-date jokes. Thanks for the laughs. I look forward to watching Voy with you. Couple of great messages here from Friends of DeSoto. Hope, Dave, you stuck with us going into Voyager. Yeah. Thanks for the support from everyone who purchases a Priority One message. Head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Get on that. You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullets, I don't like friends, and I don't like you. Hey, Adam. What's up, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! So in Sandrine's, we're mm-hmm. watching Sandrine really throw it at the doctor, Doc Holliday. Yeah. And early on in the episode, when, when Kim enters, the doc is telling him what a hard time He's having with Sandrine. Sandrine lets go of the doctor and walks past Kim after kissing the doc and Mm -hmm. blows in his face. Did you notice this? (laughs) I did not notice that. Judy Geeson makes a choice here (laughs) into Kim in a way that is big, fun, and, and subtle, but hilarious in the moment. Like, that's not on the page. That's a choice. Yeah. And I yeah. love it. She's uh, making the case for getting to come back for subsequent episodes. Yeah. So uh, I'm making the owner-operator of Sandrine's my drug Shimoda. What about wow. you, Ben? I got to give it to Chakotay for that mug when when it becomes clear that he's going to be ta- teaming up with Neelix. Yeah. That, uh, I, that was a laugh-out-loud take for me. And... Uh, I loved it. Really great. Really great. Makes me hopeful for 
that character being more fun of a guy to hang with uh, going forward. You know, it's interesting. You uh, you spend a couple seasons just absolutely burying a character under shit. <laughs> All it takes for redemption is a glance. One little glance. I'm a fan now too. <laughs> I like Chicote again. Yay. <laughs> Good stuff. All right, buddy. Uh, well, I got to uh, fire up the game of buttholes. The will of the caretaker over at gach.biz slash game. And I also got to tell you about season two, episode seven. Parturition. Patrician? Parturition. Partition? Parturition. I believe that's a uh, that's like a medical term for making a baby. Oh, that's good uh, to know. Yeah. Neelix and Paris must put aside their romantic rivalry over Kess after they crash land on a toxic planet. Wow. Sounds that planet gross. is canceled. It is toxic. <laughs> planet is a toxic work environment. Parturition, the action of giving birth to young. Childbirth. Yeah. Huh. Parturition. Why didn't they just call it Baby. <laughs> uh, that was the name of a uh, very popular Justin Bieber song and they didn't want it to get confused baby baby oh <laughs> alright Adam uh, we are currently on square 96 on the game of buttholes I'm so nervous we will be deeply fucked if we hit that more hammered which we could oh, we could man. also hit the nth degree by via a space butthole that is right there on the board in front of us both squares uh, were equally unprepared for i would say i have no cold beer in the house yeah and not enough beer for an nth degree episode that we would clearly <laughs> use to do such an such an f so yeah please I, please have a good lucky roll ben i always enjoy an nth degree episode and and I also really enjoy seeing people bellyache about an nth degree episode later yeah that's always really fun big fun but it does take a little prep and we don't I don't know if I have time you know you're required to learn as you play roll oh god I'm closing my eyes here we go Adam ah Did I win? Hardly. Wow, I rolled a one. <laughs> Whoa. We're on square 97 on the doorstep of that butthole. God. How did I get so lucky? <laughs> yeah, I think at this point, Adam, company policy, we both need to keep a cold six pack on hand Just in, in the case. fridge for the foreseeable future. All right. I think that's a good policy. You never know. You never know when a Morn Hammered may strike. Um, okay, but a regular old episode next week on The Greatest Generation. What a relief. You know what else is a relief, Adam? Is uh, every month at the beginning of the month when we get our wire transfer from the mothership over at MaximumFun.org of all of the contributions from listeners that keep our show afloat. People head to MaximumFun.org slash join to become supporters of the greatest generation, to become the, the best friends of DeSoto. The friends of DeSoto get what they pay for. They pay for what they get. Yeah. And, Makes this uh, whole this thing show, possible. 
show would not exist without that support, and we really, really appreciate it. Nope. Um, we also really appreciate the efforts of our buddy Adam Ragusia, who made the original theme music for our show, the Janeway song. He also made the Cisco song. Uh, and it was all inspired by the Picard song by Dark Materia. His work woven into the fabric of the greatest generation, year mm-hmm. after year. Much like a lattice pie crust that he might make on his successful YouTube cooking channel. Much like a multi-layered lasagna. You You got your band audio track. Well, you want to put down a little bit of red sauce in the the pan first, and then you put down your band audio track. Right. Maybe a little bechamel. Maybe a little little ricotta on top Uh of that. Yeah. Uh, Maybe a little Adam Adam Branica audio track. Uh Uh-huh. Maybe some meat sauce. Yes. A little bit more bechamel. Some cheese. Another ragusia in there. Yeah. It's just it's just layer upon layer. You just you just start repeating those stacks. Yeah. Cover it with some foil. Whack it in the oven for a while. Yeah. Uh, you want to finish under the broiler bin because uh, a little a little browned Benjamin R. Harrison and Adam Pranica track on top can be uh, very tasty. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We got to thank Bill Tilly, our social media guy, a great friend of the show. The garlic uh, bread of the show, Bill Tilly. That's it. Yeah, yeah. It wouldn't be the same without him. <laughs> You'd be like, what gives? Why are you serving me with this delicious lasagna with no garlic bread to go with? I'm, I'm looking at all this leftover sauce. I need something to sop it up with. You're telling me I don't have a Bill Tilly to, to drag through the sauce? Give me a break. <laughs> Uh, check out the greatest Trek social media accounts uh, Twitter, Instagram, Twitch Bill Tilly instrumental in the work on all of those Don't forget that Discord, man DrunkShimoto.com Yeah Where the Discord happens Yeah, there's uh, Facebook groups and Reddit groups And all kinds of places to hang out with the Friends of DeSoto online Yeah So do it Yeah, get some get some reps with some strangers before you go meet them in real life. That's what I suggest. And with that, we'll be back at it next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of The Greatest Generation that uh, is, uh, you know, trying to make the best of a toxic work environment. Boy, speaking of red sauce, am I right? Fund.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.